Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you've been following along with us, you know that we're in our second series entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we're looking at seven sets of prophetic terms that I believe are important to understand and distinguish between before we get into our third series, which I'm excited about, and that is to do an overview of the 30 prophetic events in a um, chronological sequence, to the best of my understanding of the Scriptures, that are going to take place between now and the uh, period of time called eternity. And really, time's not a factor in eternity, is it? But it's a period that we find described in the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, in the last two chapters of um, that prophetic book, that wonderful book. And as we go through these prophetic terms, I pray, since we're in number three here, that you're getting a sense of what I mean when we look at terms like Son of God, Son of Man, or uh, number two here, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, that these may, uh, in your past, in your Bible study, you may have just read over and thought, well, it's the same thing. There's no there's no difference of any significance. And perhaps you've seen now, as we've gone through and explored the Scriptures, that there are dramatic differences in the meanings of these terms, so that when you are in your quiet time, when you're in your Bible study, your Sunday school, or um, listening to the pastor in your church, that when these terms are used, you go, aha, I know what that means now. I understand who's speaking, about whom, about what, and you get the context of that passage. And it's it can be exhilarating to me. It's exciting when you come to that realization and you see these different terms, and it helps you to immediately uh, key in, to, to focus in on what's being spoken. And if somebody is, happens to be, for whatever purpose, taking that passage that you're reading that contains one of these terms in a direction that, from your study of the Scripture, isn't supported, it helps you to have the confidence to look at that and say, wait a minute, I need to go back, verify what's going on here, and if necessary, uh, make the point in love, and I emphasize the word in love, to whomever you're hearing this from, that, hey, can we talk about this passage? Because here's my understanding of what this means from the Scripture, and you have taken this off in a direction that doesn't uh, square with the Scripture. So that's a that's an edification process. We learn from that uh, as we go through that, and we, we can help other people do that. I just emphasize, 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 if you ever do that, uh, do it in love. Do it with an understanding that your desire is for the other person to be edified and not to be upset, not to be, you know, in a questioning way. Uh, to have that knowledge brought to them. But that's the power of the Scripture. It gives you the confidence 
uh, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And again, I, I want to emphasize, don't go off with an understanding of the Scripture that some man has given you unless you have gone back and are convinced that what that man says lines up with the Scripture. So enough of that. I just wanted to make that point because sometimes people get so wrapped up in their understanding of the Scripture that they get this almost a, a biblical arrogance about them, and they can get themselves into trouble and they can damage relationships. So be very careful about that. Uh, because in being careful in that, you honor and you glorify God. All right, so we are um, going through gospel of the kingdom as our third point, uh, as we look at the gospel of the kingdom and compare it and really contrast it with the gospel of grace. Uh, the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel that was prophesied in the Old Testament that would be brought to Israel. Uh, remember that in the Old Testament, the whole concept of the church was not known. Uh, so when the, the Old Testament prophets were looking, uh, let's say Isaiah, when he was looking to um, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, when he's talking about the birth of Jesus as the king who would come to rule in righteousness, and then uh, from verse 9, or excuse me, from chapter 9 of Isaiah, you go to Isaiah 53, and the whole chapter is about the crucifixion of Christ, the horrible crucifixion of Christ. And you could just imagine what was going through Isaiah's mind at the time. He was being um, obedient to God through the leading of the Holy Spirit to write this. But he's probably thinking to himself, and again, this is me talking, but probably thinking to himself, wait a minute, God, here you're saying that he's going to be born and he's going to rule in righteousness forever. And then you tell me over here he's going to die a horrible death on the cross. So what's this all about? And that's the wonderful thing about the working of the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit in the lives of people throughout the ages, and that just now the Bible is telling us through uh, Daniel chapter 12 and, and Amos 8 and other places that in the end times, which is what we're in right now, in the end times, this will become understandable. Uh, it's 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 not a revelation. There's only one revelation. That's the Bible you have sitting in front of you. It's not inspiration. The Bible's all been written, so there's no more inspired writing. It's illumination. It's the Holy Spirit taking his spiritual flashlight and shining it on passages now as you come to them in your study. It's an individual thing, and he's saying, hey, I want you to understand this now because it's important that you understand that. The Lord is getting ready to be about his work on the earth, starting with the trip, the um, rapture of the church, and then he's going to move quickly into the tribulation, the judgments at the end of the tribulation, and then the great um, millennial kingdom. And he wants us to understand that so that we can tell the unbelieving world what's going to happen. Because coming, uh, sharing the the love of Jesus is so important when you're doing uh, sharing uh, sharing the scriptures with someone. But I think it's just as important, and it's something we don't do today. We don't teach. We don't preach. But it's just as important that we know what happens to an unbeliever if they refuse Jesus Christ. The old the old preachers would call that hellfire and brimstone. Well, it's there for a purpose. Jesus talks more about what is not going to happen, or excuse me, what will happen um, in a very uh, 
judging punishment way to an unbeliever than about the the righteous life because he wants you to come to know him and he wants you to be awesomely fearful of God and his justice and his um uh, well basically his justice he's a righteous god and he's a just god and he's each of those in equal proportion so we need to come to understand that God is not just a loving God, a loving grandfather figure. He can judge you, and he says, I will judge you to your face if you deny me through my son, if you deny all that I'm offering you. And it's so simple. You just have to believe in your heart. It's all it is. You have to believe. So that's the the gospel that was given in the Old Testament, he said at this point in time, 4,000 4, years after creation, he sent his son at just the right time into the, to the world to offer this gospel of the kingdom, to set up this wonderful kingdom to the Jew first, and then once the Jew accepted that and grew in their knowledge of the Lord, they would take that to the world. So the world would be saved through, not by, but through the Jew in the, um, the, the, the plan of God as it was established for the first coming. Now, I want to be very clear here. God does not go, oh, my goodness, that didn't work. Let's try plan B. God had this all planned out from the beginning. And if I had to go to one verse to make that point clear, it would be uh, Romans, excuse me, Revelation Chapter 13, verse 8, and particularly in the King James Version, it says it best. And that is that God crucified Jesus before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, before there was ever sin, God crucified his son in his plans because he knew the end of all things from the beginning. Isaiah forty-six ten. I tell you, the end of all things from the beginning, that is our God. That is our omniscient, all-knowing God, and how wonderful that is. But his plan uh, in the beginning uh, was to take it to Israel this first time, knowing that there would have to be a second time, but he took it to Israel. And we want to go to Luke chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, the third gospel, and this is um, a portion of Luke where um, Zacharias, who is the father of uh, John the Baptist, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and the Holy Spirit has come on Zacharias, and he is now prophesying first. He prophesies about two births. The first one, we're, and we're going to read it here, is about Jesus and then he transitions to his own son, who would be John the Baptist, who would be the cousin of Jesus. And um, that starts in verse 76. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 1 and start in verse 67. Verse 67, and we're going to read through chapter uh, Luke chapter 1 to verse 75. So if you would, read along with me here in your Bible. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. And his father referring to John the Baptist, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us 
and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. So stopping here and stepping out for just a moment, what have we learned here? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has prophesied through the Holy Spirit that the Lord God of Israel, this is God, has visited us, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. And this is the the visitation of the Holy Spirit to Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, so that a son could be born in the flesh. And we've talked several times in this uh, program series about the fact that Jesus had to come in the flesh so that he could relate to the greatest sense with mankind as an example to mankind. So he has visited us, and that means the Holy Spirit with Mary, and accomplished redemption for his people. So through through the union of the Holy Spirit with Mary, the product is Jesus, and through Jesus will be the redemption for his people. Who's his people? Israel. So we're talking about Israel here. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That's, again, a reference to Jesus and the fact that he uh, salvation will be accomplished through him. For us, again, it's talking about Israel. And then he gets specific here at the end of verse 69. He says, in the house of David, his servant. And, of course, this goes back a thousand years before Christ to the kingdom of um, Israel with David as their king. Remember, their first king was King Saul, and this was a king that the people wanted. The people demanded it. They had just finished the 320-something-year period of what is called the Judges, and Samuel was the last of the Judges. He was getting old, and the people said, Samuel, you're too old to continue judging us. Uh, your sons are evil. We don't want them to take over from you. We want a king. So God allowed them to have a king named Saul, uh, Saul, and he came from the wrong tribe. It was prophesied back in Genesis 49 with the blessings of Jacob to the 12 tribes that the kings would come through Judah. The kings would come through Judah. Well, Saul was from the, the, the um, tribe of Benjamin, So that was all wrong, and of course we know from the Scriptures that Saul was a failed king and that David was anointed by Samuel as the last of the um, judges, was anointed by Samuel by the leading of the Holy Spirit to be God's choice as the king of Israel. And by the way, David is in the line of Judah. He was born through the bloodline of Judah, so Everything lines up here. The house of David is the line of Judah, the Savior that uh, came from um, a union of the Holy Spirit with Mary is in the line of Judah. So everything lines up uh, um, genealogically uh, as it should in the Bible. So we see all that in the first two verses. Let's go to verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So there again, in verse 71, stepping out for a moment, we were talking about as we started this um, these points from the scripture of the gospel of the kingdom that the promised one to come was a prophet, was a messiah, 
was a king and was a conqueror. So they are looking for this individual, this Jesus now, to save them from their enemies and from the hand of all who hate them. That would have happened if they had accepted him the first time 2,000 years ago. It would have been accomplished through the tribulation because we know from the scriptures that um, during the tribulation period, all of the unrighteous are going to be judged and will be properly sentenced and all of the righteous will be rewarded. Uh, And here we're talking about earthly rewards for the Jews who will become the preeminent people people group during the uh, millennial kingdom and the Gentiles who survive uh, that um, are called the uh, and are judged and are called the sheep will be along with the Jews. They will be the Gentiles that will populate the millennial kingdom. So this is all that was going to happen but didn't and has been postponed and will yet happen again in the future. They will be saved from their enemies, verse 71, and from the hand of all who hate us. Um, but it didn't happen then because of unbelief. Verse 72, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, all the wonderful things that had been prophesied that God would do for Israel if they would simply follow his commandments, his statutes, and his ordinances. In other words, to have faith in him that they would have all of this mercy that was promised that the all the promises of the covenant would be remembered. That's what they're looking forward to. That was everything that was wrapped up in this wonderful individual called Jesus Christ. Verse 73, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And we understand that through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, And then through Moses uh, in the wilderness, when Moses was prophesying about how this prophet, who we know to be Jesus, this prophet would be sent from among the Israelites to the people at the appropriate time, and the people were to listen to him. And of course, we know that that's Jesus, and we've talked about that before, about how God spoke from heaven with John the Baptist in early ministry, and then later in the ministry at the Mount of transfiguration. God spoke and said, this is my son. Listen to him. This was all prophesied by the uh, the prophets in the Old Testament. In verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So they're talking here about a millennial kingdom, a kingdom that this Jesus sets up for them. Um, and that's, again, what they were promised would happen. And you notice all through here, that it's about Israel. It's about Israel. And we want to carry that a little bit further here because I want to go back uh, to verse 73 where it talks about Abraham, our father, because that has been taken out of context and to become a very inclusive term for people. And I want to clarify in our next program what he meant by Abraham here relative to the salvation and the, the the righteous people of Israel. What was or what will be a righteous Jew? So again, we'll talk about that in our next program. But let's go ahead and transition, as we always do, over to our Q&A. And we were talking about 
uh, a question that was uh, sent in. Does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time prophecy? And we have spent quite a bit of time establishing a case for the importance of Israel in God's overall plans. There's only one period of time in, in all of biblical history as well as the prophetic future where Israel is not the central focus of God's plan, and that happens to be right now. From the time that the church was established back in Acts chapter 2, and that was established 50 days, that's why they call it Pentecost, it was established 50 days after Jesus uh, was resurrected from the grave after his crucifixion, and that church lasts through what is called the church age or the gospel of grace, And then it will end with the rapture of the church when the church is taken up to heaven to wed Christ to Christ to become his wife in our glorified bodies where we will live with him forever. Then, of course, the Bible tells us that we come back with him at his second coming. So basically everything before Pentecost and everything after the rapture of the church is all about God's wife. So, yes, uh, the fact that the Israel is the wife of God has a great impact on end-time prophecy. And we have been going through that through a number of Old Testament scriptures uh, here of late with uh, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 4. We went to Joel chapter 3. We were in Isaiah chapter 2. And now as we start to conclude this, I want to spend some time in Ezekiel. And we talked about that uh, in our last program as we gave kind of an overview of of the importance of studying Ezekiel uh, because he was one of the prophets along with Jeremiah and Daniel who lived at the time of the Babylonian captivity. And Daniel and Ezekiel were taken to Babylon and prophesied from there two wonderful, wonderful prophetic books, Book of Daniel, Book of Ezekiel. And then we had another wonderful prophetic book, and that's Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was left behind by the Babylonians. So he, he prophesied and wrote from Israel, uh, or what was left of Israel after the Babylonians scourged the land. Uh, so we have those wonderful prophetic books in the Old Testament from what are considered the major prophets, principally because they're so the books are so big. In fact, remember, word count, Jeremiah is the biggest book in the Bible. So we wanted to go to Ezekiel chapter 36. We mentioned in our last program that 37 talks about the valley of dry bones, and that was the prophecy of the rebirth of Israel. And, of course, that came to fruition. It started in the 1910s, uh, 1920s, with the Balfour Declaration, and then came to final fruition with the pronouncement of the state of Israel in 1948. So really, in in our lifetime and certainly the lifetime of our parents, Uh, We have seen this fulfilled in Ezekiel 37. But I wanted to go back one chapter um, to talk about uh, how God sees Israel in the millennial kingdom and how wonderful this time is going to be for Israel. So if you would, hopefully you found Ezekiel 36 in your Bible because... um, Let me just say this. If you have your Bible anywhere around you right now, I would, and, and it's not opened in front of you, I would ask you to do that. I mean, if, there's, if you haven't done it any other time, I'd like you to open it up now. I'd like you to go to Ezekiel 36 because I want you to see 
one of the most poignant passages in the Bible to describe God's love for his wife Israel and what he's going to do for her in the millennial kingdom that is yet to come. So um, you be guided by the Holy Spirit in that, but I'm going to go to Ezekiel 36 and I'm going to start at verse 30, or excuse me, 22. And I'm actually going to read to the end of the chapter. So bear with me here a little for a little time here because it's all so wonderful. So listen to what God says. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I, that I gave your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, This desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. The nations that are left around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast so will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to end right there, and we'll pick this up in our next program because that's so poignant, and I want that just to 
sink in is hopefully you've read that with me and we'll we'll talk about it next time remember if we don't talk again i'll be seeing you in the air thank you for joining us on this edition of exploring bible prophecy our special offer this month is consider the ant volume one the basics consider the ant is a biblically based look at emergency preparedness you'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.